The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on another brilliant guest. He is an actor, he is a father, a husband a family man, a devout Christian, an author. He is many things to many people, and this is the one and only Kurt Cameron. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, man. Great great to be with you. No doubt, man. Great to have you on. So, Kirk, I've done a brief intro there, but for people who may not be familiar with who you are and your work, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So uh, most people would recognize my name, if they recognize it at all, from the 1980s sitcom Growing Pains. Uh, so I played Mike Seaver, the... Uh, the wisecracking teenager always getting in trouble is mostly just me being myself on that TV show. And uh, let's see, I grew up, I'm married to my on-screen sweetheart. We've been married for 32 years. We have six grown children and I live in California and have uh, really devoted myself to bringing people hope and inspiration through movies, creating live events. And, and now I'm touring the country reading children's books books of, of wisdom and virtue in public libraries for families uh, that are looking to uh, exit the, the, the woke matrix and get back to creating a culture that they're excited about for their kids' future. That's awesome, man. There's so many directions we can go from that, but let's yeah. talk a little bit. Let, let's talk a little bit about your, your own journey. So you are born and raised in California. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. Uh, born here. My dad's a public school teacher. He teach, uh, taught physical education and mathematics. Uh, so I come from a line of, of public school teachers. And uh, my wife's from New York, but we met working on the set of Growing Pains. So I stole Mike Seaver's girlfriend. Uh, best thing that ever happened to me. And, and uh, now we live in California. Although our kids have flown the nest. So they're all over the place. They're in, they're in Texas and Colorado and Massachusetts and Wyoming. And uh, we're doing a lot of traveling just to keep up with them. That's awesome, man. So going back to uh, Growing Pains, I mean, I'm sure you've told this story many, many times in many, many interviews. But tell me a little bit about your own journey in that, because from what I understand, uh, I think at the time you were doing the show, am I correct in saying you weren't a person of faith at the time and then you had your own conversion? Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, I was an atheist up until I was about 18 years old. So I, I, I sort of consider myself today as a recovering atheist. Mm. And uh, because math and science were always my favorite subjects, I, in fact, I, I was never uh, view, viewed myself as a creative type. I never wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon. And so uh, in, in those circles, uh, you know, my friends were not fond of believing in some invisible creature behind the clouds who was watching over us. Uh, it sounded a little mystical and hocus pocus. So 
that was my worldview as well until I went to a church and somebody uh, preached a message that really captured my attention and, and got me asking a lot of important questions uh, about ultimate things. And because of my love for science and uh, space and biology, I started questioning, could this all really be an accident? Is this all really just happy, lucky uh, mud that got zapped with electricity and formed itself into these beautiful structures and uh, things like truth and, and beauty and meaning and morality? Are these things all just conventional constructs or do they have transcendent meaning to them? What happens when you die? But where, where do you go when you step out of here? And the message of the gospel in this church and then later the message of the entire Bible really captivated me and set me on a different course from a lot of my peers as a 17-year-old teen actor in Hollywood. And uh, my a minister friend of mine back then reminded me, he said, Kirk, if, if anyone ever asks you, how did you, find how did you find God in Hollywood? He said, let me remind you, you didn't, you didn't find God. He wasn't lost. You were, and mm. he found you. And I, I think that's right. That's so interesting. What was it like, I mean, hearkening back to that time, because as we know, I mean, I, I don't know what Hollywood was like at that time. I mean, you, you were in it. You were in the belly of the beast. I think more and more people nowadays are kind of waking up to uh, some of the, uh, what's the best way to put it? Some of the, some of the anti, anti-Christian, anti-family ideas that are recently being pushed, whether someone wants to call that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what was it like for yourself being on this show being a young, successful man, having that level of fame, and then suddenly you yourself are going through this transition phase. What was that actually like? Well, when I look back on it, it it's, it's much... I'm amazed that I came out of it with some semblance of normalcy when I look back on it. But when you're in it, it, it was the only normal that I knew. So I didn't have another teenage life to compare it to. When I was 14 years old, I was on this TV show and, and people knew who I was. They started asking me for, for autographs. And I, I didn't ask for all of that. In fact, I would have much rather uh, been playing basketball with my friends, going to school and becoming, uh, going to medical school. That was my plan. But it became clearer as, as the years went on that I think, I think, I've been, God had a path for me I wasn't expecting, but it was better than the path I had for myself. And I don't think I understood at that time how important having a rock solid faith in God and a morality based on the Bible would come in handy and be so important in my 50s. So here I am today with six children who are struggling to understand truth, beauty, and goodness uh, in an upside-down world with an inside-out morality. And I've got a firm grasp on those things because of my faith. And I'm really grateful for that. That's, that's really interesting. Can you, can you go a little bit deeper on that point? Because I think you just made a really interesting point there about how many decades later, as a father— and as a husband, as a family man, doing all the things you're doing now, having that foundation is so important now. I, I, I kind of have a hint of what you, what you mean by that, but can you go a little deeper sure. on that? Sure. And, and feel free to, to, to help me um, drill down in the direction that you want me to. But, um, you know, I, I look at the United States of America and um, 
it, it has provided an unprecedented amount of liberty to people of all different backgrounds when we stick with the principles upon which it was founded. When we stray from them, we suffer and, and we harm other people. But there's never been a place in the world where you could find more religious liberty, more educational opportunities, more economic financial opportunities, because this is a country that was built on biblical values and morality. You know, it was, it was biblicists that abolished slavery. It's these biblical ideas that lead to uh, private property and human rights. Uh, the king doesn't get to do what he wants and he's not above the law. And this is the kind of morality and structure that I understood from my education growing up and then my own faith conversion experience and reading the scriptures. Western civilization is rooted in these principles. But today, in the world my kids are growing up in, that root ha has almost been severed here in America and certainly in popular culture. And what happens is the whole tree gets weak and the fruit is no longer sweet with liberty and justice for all. It is now shriveled and gnarled, bitter and rotten. And you've got everybody fighting against each other. And when that happens, it's a warning sign that the tree's about to fall over. And what I want to do is do what I can to say, let's nourish the root. Let's go back to the indispensable supports of a free republic like ours, which is loving God, uh, loving one another. Fearless faith and moral integrity are essential if we want a happy, healthy future for the next generation. Yeah, I hear that totally. Something that's really interesting that I've observed over the past few years, especially, let's say particularly over the last 10 years and heavily accelerated over the last five is I think that of people of faith as Christians. So I think, for, okay, before I get to that, I think everybody, regardless of their religious belief or lack thereof, regardless of their political orientation, left, right, conservative, liberal, whatever, I think everyone can observe this level of chaos and lack of purpose and meaning and subjective morality and the polarization and so on, right? It's everyone's talking about it. People are hyper aware of it. I think from a Christian or even generally more broadly religious viewpoint, some of it strikes me as, well, this is the obvious consequence of knocking down those foundations, not just the faith foundation, but the family foundation, the sort of traditional morality, everything that actually keeps human beings sane and in line yep. and oriented in the name of quote unquote, you know, freedom and liberty, which are typically good things. All of these things have just kind of been knocked down and, and shattered, right? We hear this talk of dismantle, you know, dismantling everything, dismantle the nuclear family, dismantle marriage, dismantle religion, dismantle Christian principles, you know, just tearing everything apart. And then people are acting sort of shocked and surprised when you have the current level of chaos that we are dealing with and the, and the level of just absolute confusion where the most basic realities, the most basic truths, even things that are clearly, you know, rooted in scientific science, right? You know, men and women existing, right? All of these things are up for debate and it's all chaotic. And I think that because so many people have this aversion to religion or Christianity or whatever, maybe they've had their bad experience in their church growing up or whatever, and they've kind of rejected this thing, they're not even willing to, in many cases, acknowledge 
that this is part of the problem, right? They're looking for all these other answers. Oh, you know, it's, it's mental health, it's, it's pharmaceuticals, it's this, it's this, it's this. And sure, these things can play a role. But to me, the obvious answer is, well, you have knocked out the foundational pillar, which regardless of your beliefs, a country like the USA, a country like the UK was founded on, right? Um, and so how are you going to expect, you, you brought up, you know, you talked about a tree with roots. It's like, if you take the roots out of a tree, are you going to be surprised when it starts wobbling? You knock the foundations out of building or why, why are we so shocked and surprised that it's wobbling because people are trying to find all these other things, meaning purpose, community, morality, direction, um, you know, an, an enemy, uh, type of original sin. It's almost like people are trying to replace all of these religious and Christian principles with something else. People are replacing it with politics and all these other isms and schisms. I mean, right now we've got a whole month, which is de dedicated to celebrating so-called pride. And there's something that's sort of very deep about that all. Bro, I could just listen to you all day <laughs> on repeat and fall asleep to it because you're speaking truth. Hundred percent, man. I, I would just love to double click on a on on ten different things that you said uh, just now. But you're you're absolutely right, and it's not lost on me, and it shouldn't be lost on anyone who's listening to this podcast that those who are the enemies of Christianity or uh, the Bible, let's just go with that because that that is the foundational building block of Western civilization. You talked about America and you talked about the UK. The whole concept of human rights and freedom of speech and even the ability to criticize your government and religion comes from the foundational Christian principle that no one should put a muzzle on you that you should be able to think freely and criticize your government and advance your views. That is a Christian concept at its root, which stems from the Bible. So if you want to, it's the daughter looking to kill the mother. The daughter of liberty and free speech and human rights is looking to assassinate the mother who gave birth to her. That, that's a stupid, foolish thing to do. But it's actually a great thing to do if you're a communist. It's a great thing to perpetuate if you're an authoritarian government that wants people to begin fighting and tearing everything apart and at each other's throats, get, get people fighting over race, get them fighting over religion, get them fighting over who has more money, get them fighting over who's vaccinated and who's not, get them fighting over uh, your sex life and, and, and who you want to be your partner. If we can do that, we divide the house and they're easily conquered. So listen, it, it's time for us to choose. If we want liberty, we got to remember that liberty is only good for self-governing people who do the right thing and care about one another when nobody's watching. Because if you give freedom to an anarchist, to a criminal, you've given him a very dangerous weapon. It, and that's what our founders understood. They said... Um, liberty like ours is only fit for a moral and religious people because you have the, the wise constraints on my freedom that liberates me to do what I ought, what is good. But again, what is good and what is that which I ought if I don't have some transcendent standard of what is true and what is good? So when you throw the, the, the foundational thing out, like you said, 
you've lost your central interpretive lens of reality. And now anything is acceptable. And that's why we see crazy, you know what, mm -hmm. on TV, in our social media, you see the Dodgers, the Target, the Bud Light, you see unreal stuff happening. And we think it just suddenly descended on us. Nope. We have neglected that route for so long that the tree is beginning to wobble, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I feel like not just the USA, but Western societies in general at this moment in time, they're sort of running off the fumes of Christianity and Christian yeah. ethics. Yeah. And, you know, I question how long you can run off the fumes of something. I also have a, yeah. Hey, I, we're, I'm here in Los Angeles. We drive everywhere and you get stuck on that 405 freeway with an empty tank of gas. You are just kicking yourself. You're going, man, I knew it, man, I knew it. And uh, we can't let that happen to an entire nation uh, because this, th this is too important. However, uh, let me just say that my mission and my message, not that, you know, my message is so important, but I think, I think the important message of the, of the cultural moment is bigger than save America. It is about the, the vision of, it's about the vision of liberty and justice and freedom and health and life for all. And if America fails to learn to go back to those original principles, it will fall. But that doesn't mean that the freight train of liberty and grace and life stops because God is on that train, driving that train, and, and it will go where he wants it to go. Maybe it's in South China in the underground church. Maybe it's in uh, Africa where there is revival taking place. Maybe it's in South America where we're going to see this global shift of great awakenings. And, and those are places that are already sending missionaries back to the United States because we need help. The sons and <laughs> other countries are now going back to rescue mom and dad. Yeah. As someone whose family background is originally from Nigeria, uh, it's there's there's a funny irony with that all, how it's kind yeah. of, you know, the, the polarities have, have reversed. Do you, do you think that in some ways the USA has been a, a victim of its own of its own success? Yes. Absolutely. It's a victim of its own pride. And, and I'm not anti-USA. I'm, I'm pro-USA. I'm um, so thankful and grateful to be living here and living at this exciting time. But this is, I think, a natural result of the condition of the human heart. Um, you know, it, sometimes, sometimes we, I can understand things better when I simplify them down to everyday things. Um, is America the victim of its own success? Uh, well, I live in an industry surround, where I'm surrounded by people who are victims of their own success. I see it. It makes perfect sense. You just went from being a regular dude, driving a regular car, struggling to pay your bills, grateful for the food you put in your mouth, to a guy who just became an overnight success, and you've got all this money, and now you are burning every bridge and ruining every good thing in your life because you've just been filled with pride, this sense of ego, me, myself. I'm, and then you start thinking you're better than other people. And all of a sudden, the me monster takes over and you're headed for a giant crash. And, and that's what the Bible says of individuals and nations. 
If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So let's humble ourselves in the sight of God and let him lift us up. It's what he did in the beginning when, when Christians came and just declared days of fasting, repentance, and uh, thanksgiving and prayer. And they followed biblical rules. But when we exalt ourselves and get puffed up with pride, man, we have civil wars. People die. We have terrible consequences. And I think that uh, we're at that stage right now that we need to humble ourselves or we will be humbled. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that rings even more true when you realize that pride on both an individual and a community and a national level is such a gigantic problem in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And then we literally have more than a month, <laughs> more than a month dedicated to celebrating pride. And pride is such a funny word because it has multiple meanings, like many words in English do, right? There's a type of pride, which simply means feeling comfortable in your own skin, right? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm proud to be a man. Like, I haven't done anything for it, but you know, I'm, com- I'm comfortable in my skin. You know, I'm proud to be British. I'm proud to be Nigerian, right? Like it's not yeah. for, it's not, it's not a type of arrogance or thinking you're better than others. It's just like, cool. Like this is, this is who I am, what I am. I accept it. Then there's another type of pride, which is being proud of your achievements and accomplishments, right? Things you've actually done, things you've achieved. You may be proud of your acting work. You may be proud of being, being a father and being a husband. You're proud of the things you've done. You're proud of, you know, maintaining a, a healthy lifestyle, right? Things you've actually done, things you've accomplished. And then there's the sort of third type of pride, which is arrogance, you know, the arrogance, yeah. lack of humility, thinking you're better than other people, vanity. I, I think it's actually a bit of a shame that it's a feature of the English language that all of them have the same, all of yeah. them have the same word, because I think there's, there's actually very different types of pride. There's a type that's good, a type that's neutral yeah. and a type that is absolutely destructive. Yet, um, I think they kind of all get conflated sometimes. And I think yeah. that the type that we, we usually celebrate isn't the type of, Hey, well done. You've accomplished something. It's just like pride in sin. It's pride in your sexualities, pride in your sexual behaviors, pride in, um, you know, things that these are not accomplishments. Um, but these are the things that people are taking pride in and quite literally celebrating. Yeah, man, I, I I agree with you. I think, um, I, I, I like the way that, that God, the father says this in, in the scriptures about his son, where he says he's essentially, I'm paraphrasing. This is my son. I'm proud of him. And here's what he said. He said this at Jesus' baptism. He said, this is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. He is acknowledging his son and saying, I love my son and I'm pleased with him. Um, That's not a self-focused, arrogant pride that he's he's saying about himself. Um, So that's why I've written this new book and I'm touring around the country teaching kids who are being inundated with this message of pride, 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 pride. And by the way, it's a very bizarre kind of pride. It's not, I'm proud to be an American or I'm proud to be a a man, which even that, what does that even mean anymore to be a man? We can't define male or female within that community. Um, But it's be proud of my sex life. And not only are you proud of your sex, they want you and me to celebrate their sex life Mm -hmm. by wearing a t-shirt or putting up a banner that celebrates their sex. That's just so absurd to me. Um, so if I, if I want to talk about pride, I think 
the best way that I can talk about being uh, proud of the things that are good is I think at the root of it, I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful that I'm an American. I'm thankful that I'm a man, I'm, that I'm a father, that I'm a husband. I'm so grateful because these are gifts from God. Mm-hmm. And so that's the term I prefer to use. Um, pride is really feeding the me monster. It's self-focused rather than others focused. And in this culture, kids need to learn that. So I'm doing a whole series of books on the seven deadly sins Um, greed, gluttony, sloth, wrath, envy, and lust are all bad, but pride is the deadliest. And that's why uh, this book here, Pride Comes Before the Fall, is uh, a fun, exciting story for kids. It's beautifully illustrated. And it's about a tiger named Valor, who is in this race, and he's the strongest character, but he gets teamed up with with a, a rookie, Kevin the elephant who doesn't know how to paddle in the right direction and he gets so angry he's so prideful and full of himself that he mocks Kevin and they end up going over the falls and it's when he learns to be humble and kind that Kevin gets back in the race and uses his elephant trunk like a jet powered engine to to squirt the water out the back of the of the raft and zoom past everybody else and they have this glorious finish but the most important lesson learned was the lesson of being humble and serving others first so that's what I'm trying to do, to, uh, to practically move people in their hearts and minds toward the ideals we've been discussing today. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I know you had a previous book. So that one's with, uh, that's your second book with Brave Books, right? Yeah. So Pride Comes Before the Fall is my second book. The first one uh, was called As You Grow, and it was uh, talking about biblical wisdom and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness and self-control. Yeah. There's something you said earlier on, which, um, actually I want to push back on a little bit because you said that, you know, you're just, you're, you're one man and you know, your message isn't, your message isn't that important. I would massively disagree. I think that in this time and climate that we are living in, everyone who is creating things, create, creating books, creating videos, doing talks, going out there and who is putting in a genuine effort to nudge individuals and society and the culture in a more positive and wholesome direction, I think that is incredibly powerful. And I think it's never been more necessary. I think that we're we're sort of at this peak where so much nonsense is being pushed, being pushed on children, being pushed on adults, just being pushed on, on everyone. And there isn't enough coming from the opposite end. I think that as... Christians as conservative leaning people, oftentimes I've made this criticism multiple times is that there can be a tendency. And I see this all the time to simply critique and comment on the stuff that, that, that we don't like, right? Yeah. All this goofy stuff coming from the left, the, the wokeism, the, uh, you know, the LGD, all, all, all the stuff, right? Just, just critique, 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 but not create stuff that is in line with our values, right? Yes. I think, I think, I think the, the values are obviously there, but it's easy to kind of fall into this reactionary trap where it's just, Hey, look at what they're doing. Hey, look at what they're doing. This is crazy. Hey, look at what they're doing. This is crazy without actually putting out the message, especially to young people, whether it's children, teenagers, young adults and say, Hey, actually, look, this is why our ideas are better. This is why this is a better lifestyle. This is why this is something better to aspire to, right? Like I look at someone like yourself. I'm not, I'm not married with children yet. But I think the fact you have six, you're married with six kids, that's awesome. I'm like, people need to be, 
people need to like see that people need to hear that people need to be like oh wow okay cool i can i can live this sort of neutered sterile lifestyle where it's all about me and i'm you know quote unquote child free and i never get married and i just live for myself and i do this because that that is a in the in the absence of people seeing the opposite that's an appealing message right just be totally selfish live for yourself um, you know, have sex with all the people you want to never take any responsibility. You don't even want to have a child because, Hey, they're bad for the environment. And there's too many people in the world and this and this, and pe- millions of people are getting sucked into that message. And I think unless young people hear the opposite and see the opposite, right? right. More and more people are going to go that way without going, okay, wait, hang on. Let me see. Let, let's see what these guys are doing over here. Let's see how that looks. Oh, actually, you know, that, that looks pretty cool. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll tell you honestly, nothing makes me want to be a father, a husband more and have children more than seeing men who are, you know, regardless of their age, but, you know, typically older than me who have done and accomplished that and who are clearly happy and content, whether that is my own parents or it's other people's parents or it's friends or it's strangers. I'm like, man, I want, that's something I aspire towards because you know, you can see all the other stuff. You can see, oh, you know, fast, fast cars, big money, you know, this, this, this. And that's put out everywhere, especially in this day of, of social media. You know, I'm also a rapper. So like in the whole world of hip hop, it's all, you know, money and fame and fast cars and jewelry yeah, and this and this. And, and right. it can be very appealing, especially to a young man. But so I think so many people are just not seeing, they're just not seeing that opposite side. So they're leaning in that way. And they're not really sort of seeing and thinking about, oh, okay. I can pursue this path. Oh, but actually, you know what? That one, maybe that one's more appealing. Man, I I thank God for you and your ability to articulate that. That is so clear, man. Everybody needs to hear you and, and talking about these ideas because you're absolutely right. And going back to something you said earlier, I wanted to, 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 to double down on was you said that we spend a lot of time critiquing other people. And yet we're not spending time creating the worlds that we want for our kids. We've got better ideas and we need to explain why our ideas are better. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. We've got no game. They've got a ground game. Yeah. They're running. And, and so we sit back and we guess what? The team that gets on the field and actually dribbles the ball wins the game. We're sitting on the sidelines mocking how they run and pointing out that they're breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. The problem is if we don't get out of the bleachers onto the court, we've got no game or plan to build a world for our kids. And what, once, once they complete uh, the, the, the final pieces of the matrix, then, then there is very little hope of getting out of it. Right now, there are still enough people who have been red-pilled, like you and uh, me and others, we can deactivate the machine and we need to do that by speaking the truth in love, not just criticizing, but actually putting together uh, a ground game strategy and implementing it and doing it now. Uh, if we do that, I believe that there is uh, great reasons to believe that we can, we can course correct because we've had great awakenings and revivals in the past uh, during times where culturally things were much worse. Yes, uh, they're not throwing Christians to the lions or impaling us on poles and lighting us on fire to light up gladiatorial games yet. Mm. But it can get there. It has in the past. And uh, w- we've got a lot more resources at our disposal right now to turn things around. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, another thing that's happened as well is, you know, I think people forget that, you know, we, we really are. And when I say we, I'm talking at least people who are, who are sane and are grounded. We are the majority. That's right. It, right. And, but what that's happens right. is, but what happens is when the majority is in silence or puts their heads down or, you know, live like cowards and don't speak out, you know, speak yeah. up for their principles, then you, you get this illusion, which can make it look like the crazies are a much bigger percentage than they yeah. really are. Um, and this, this again is emphasized even more on social media where it, you can make with the internet, you can make 2% of the population look like half the population. I see this phenomenon all the time, right? When I'm, I, I'm traveling around the world, I'm talking to people and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like everyone's going, everyone's gone crazy. Everyone's lost their mind. You know, the whole world is doing this. And I'm like, it's, I'm like, it's not true. Cause I, I'm in the USA right now. I've been here for a couple of weeks. Um, I talk to a lot of people in the real world. I'm just out there and about living my life. And I'm like, you know, most people are normal. The percentage of people who really, really like support and believe in the, the most ridiculous ideas and notions, they're tiny. But the thing is, they're very vocal. So I'm often, I've been, been for years encouraging people to just take that courage, you know, because everyone's, everyone's afraid. Everyone's afraid. Oh, I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to lose yeah. my job. I've got a family. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be called a name. I don't want to be called phobic. And the thing is, I, I've made this point before, which is that the people with the worst and most destructive ideas are extremely bold and loud and confident. So if you are someone who is sane and has good ideas and is actually standing up for righteousness, like why should you be the one who is, who is silenced? Why should you be the one who's cowardly? Right. I would be ashamed if I were pushing some of these ideas that people were pushing, I would be ashamed to say it out loud. Right. I would, I'd be, how, how can I be out there and, you know, talking about how men can get pregnant and how women can have penises and how we should be, you know, transing the kids and all this, like, I would be ashamed to even voice those type of views publicly if I, if I did believe in them, but it's like the people who are standing on sanity, who are saying the things that are objectively true, they're terrified. You know, most people are just there, you know, afraid to say it, afraid to speak up against it, afraid to say no when they need to say no. And I don't know, I don't know the solution for this. I think it's important to set an example and I've been doing my best to do that for years. And I do start to see, you know, more and a bit more of a groundswell of people just starting to speak up on this stuff. Um, but we still need a lot more, not just people with big platforms, but just, you know, your everyday people, whether they're students in school or university or they're teachers or they work in corporations or whatever it is, when, when stuff is just going off the cliff with its madness, when they're pushing absolute nonsense on children, on your, on your own children, you know, attacking the heart of your nation and the world. I'm just like, Hey, you've got to speak up. You can't just yeah. stick your head in the sand because it's going to get worse. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, I believe his name is Rod Dreyer wrote a book called live not by lies. You can read all sorts of books that talk about the Russian revolution, the Chinese Re cultural revolution. And you, you see how this is a pattern. Uh, I have Cuban neighbors. I have neighbors from Taiwan and Russia and from um, the Ukraine who say that they feel that they're here in America, so happy to be here, but that they're watching a horror movie that they've seen before. And they mm. saw it played out in their own country. And Americans aren't aware of it because we've lived with so much freedom and blessing in the past that we're unaware of the signs of that our countries are going to turn like those other countries that everyone's trying to escape from. 
Um, Dinesh D'Souza said something to me uh, one time. He, he, he said, when you go to a circus, or at least the old time circuses, where you'd have a lion and a lion tamer, you've got this big giant lion with sharp teeth and bulging, rippling muscles, and you've got this skinny little lion tamer in his little suit with a tiny little whip. He said, who's more powerful, the lion or the lion tamer? And of course you're going, uh, well, the lion is a thousand times more powerful than that skinny little guy. He's like, right. But the lion thinks that the lion tamer is more powerful because he's been trained since he was a little cub with that whip to obey that lion tamer. And if the lion only could know how strong he is, he would just eat that lion tamer in one bite. And he said, essentially, the people of faith, the people of moral integrity, the majority of people in America are like that lion, far more powerful than, than the insecure elite that is so filled with pride that they try to set themselves up as God and create this illusion that they are all powerful. If only the lion would recognize its own strength, it could put away the lion tamer in a second. And that, I believe, needs to happen uh, with the help of God because we're so easily blinded by our fear. Uh, we don't want to get canceled, as you said. Uh, I got a family to feed. Uh, I don't want people to think I'm a bigot or that I'm a supremacist or that I'm whatever. And the way it's happened in history is that someone gets down on their knees and says, oh, God, forgive me. I've been part of the problem. Uh, and... I want to be part of the solution. And they start a prayer meeting or a small group. This happened in uh, the 18th century in England, where culturally things were awful. Political corruption uh, abounded. The church was a joke full of hypocrisy. Gin and, uh, and, and, and Madeira would drown, would, people would use to drown out their sorrows and their problems. And then someone started preaching a message named George Whitfield. And you had this message of hope and vision that transformed people's hearts. And then it started to take root in the college campuses. And then the, the, the wealthy community began to, to come around this and put out publications and start benevolent organizations. And all of a sudden people captured a vision bigger than themselves and it was for total cultural transformation. And they had a standard to, to reform too, which was the eternal truths found in the scriptures and revival breaks out. And it goes across the Atlantic Ocean, and we had a great awakening in America, a religious revolution of heart. And all of a sudden, you, you, you launch a beacon of freedom to the whole world. But it starts with a couple of guys praying, uh, a couple of moms, a couple of dads getting together and saying, God, uh, forgive me, a sinner and uh, beginning to turn from their own wicked ways and seeking God with all of their heart. And then he hears their prayers, he forgives their sins and he starts to heal their land through them. And that's what I think you're doing. That's what I think you're doing right now. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you, Kirk. I'm grateful for you too, man. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Um, I often tell people that I didn't, um, I didn't plan to get involved in all this stuff in the way that I happened. I, I, kind of, I kind of stumbled into it, but then there's also just a moral imperative with how crazy certain things have gotten over the years that, hey, you know, if, I, if I'm silent, then I'm complicit in this and That's I right. need to speak up. And, and the great thing, 
courage, encouragement for you and me is we're just two guys, but God loves to mul- God multiplies what he loves. And you look, think of the story of the little, the loaves and the fishes. It's not enough to feed the 5,000 people, but Jesus takes them and he multiplies them. And there's, there's enough for everybody and more left over. Uh, I believe that if we have clean hands and a pure heart and our motive is to bless other people and honor God, he multiplies what he loves and we're on the right road. Amen. I do have a question for you, Kirk. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who is vocal on these issues on multiple platforms, something I get from a lot of people, especially when I use the C word, which is cowardice, because people hate it when I uh, bring up the word cowardice because they feel convicted. But um, something people always say to me is, oh, well, you know, you don't you don't have kids, right? You don't have kids yet. So, um, you know, you're in a position to speak up. I know this is a super cope. I know it's nonsense, but that's some, that's something I get. I get. Yeah. I, I mean, I can think of, yeah, I mean, I'd say most people who speak up certainly do have children. Um, and I, I'm 99% certain that when I do have children, I'm going to be even more concerned and vocal on yes, some of these will. points. Um, but as a father, as a father of six, um, as someone who, is in in your position. I, I'm curious to know how, how know, knowing that you've got your children out there in the world and your nation or the cut or the world is is going in the way it's going, which is you know I think we have a lot of concerns that parents probably wouldn't have had back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s. I'm curious to know what role being a father and being a family man plays in the imperative for you to do the things that you are actually doing. Because I think, I think a lot of people use family as an excuse when they could use it as a reason. And this doesn't just go for this issue. This goes for taking care of their health and fitness. This goes for a lot of things, right? People say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm out of shape or I have a bad diet or I won't exercise. You know, I'll be, I've got a family and I'm like, well, that should be the reason that you want to, be in good health and, and stay in good health. So how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, you're, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, what launched me to make a documentary back in 2008 called Monumental uh, was the fact that I was a father concerned about the world that my kids were, were growing up into. And so I was retracing the escape route of the pilgrims from England to Holland, where they spent 12 years with their pastor, learning the ancient nation building techniques of the Hebrew Republic under the leadership of Moses. What in the, I'm not, that's not, what, why am I even going there to understand this stuff? Because I have six kids and our country is in trouble. And I want to know the people that laid down the original template, what would they tell us right now? I, they wouldn't get caught up in LGBTQ issues. They're not going to get up caught up in, in, in de- debt crisis and border control and Republican Democrat. That's all important, but that, those are fruit issues. I want to know what are the root issues that drive the production of good or bad fruit. And that all came because I love my kids. If I wasn't married with kids, I don't know that I would be that others focused. And if I really love my kids, I'm not going to use them as an excuse to be apathetic. If I really love my kids, I'll be honest, I'm scared of what's going to happen to my kids if I don't get some courage and grow a pair and be brave and speak up. 
because they're going to suffer the consequences. I'm going to exit out of here in a couple of decades and they're going to be raising children in a world that was neglected on my watch. Yeah, I love that. that that's such a powerful and such an important message. One of the things I get asked the most, doesn't matter if I'm in the UK, I'm in the States, I'm in Australia, uh, wherever I am, um, people always ask me, Zuby, how did we get here? How did we get here? And nobody likes my answer. And my answer is because, because you let it, right? Not that person specifically individually, but as, as communities, as a society as a whole, we haven't been hitting the brakes on certain things, right? It's like you just allow things to transpire and you're apathetic or you're afraid and you just let the culture do what the culture does and you let society go as it goes and you let teachers and the media and everyone, you know, brainwash entire generations for years on end. And it's like, okay, well, this is why, this is why it's gotten here. And it's not going to magically reverse by itself while it's still being pushed. You are going to need some people to stand up. A lot of people, you're going to need a huge movement of people to stand up and say, okay, stop enough, right? Enough. And I don't even think that we're at a point where I'm not even just talking about conservatives. I'm not even just talking about Christians. I'm talking about anyone who is sane, right? Just <laughs> anyone who's sane. I, I actually think we need a groundswell of what I yeah. would call like decent liberals, right? Sane, sane liberals, right? Just yeah, not, they're not super woke. They're not far left. They're not Antifa supporters and, you know, wanting to trans the kids and do all this other crazy stuff. They're just like, hey, actually, you know, I, I'd like uh, more social security or I'd like, like just, just normal, sane yeah decent family oriented people, all of these individuals, I think need to just stand up to, to the extreme elements of this stuff and just say, look, en enough, enough of that, right? No, yeah. no more, no more men in women's sports. Stop, stop yeah. where I'm not sending my girl to school and you're going to have boys competing against her. No, we are, we are stopping that, right? We're not having this go on. And I think people are just so afraid to say, stop, pause enough, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, again, <laughs> you're saying so many good things. I want to, I want to talk about all of it. But I, I believe that it's in Antonio Gramsci. I believe the um, Italian socialist revolutionary who said that these ideas that we are advancing are are not happening because of the small group of us who want them to happen. It's because of the large group, the masses, who let them happen. Right. So that's very interesting. In fact, I, I, um, I think of that with my own house. Um, here we go. Two days ago, I had a plumber come over to my house because my house was filled with this awful stench when I woke up in the morning and my main sewer line had been backed up. The toilets were plugged and I've got sewage coming up in the tubs of my bathroom. I'm just oh, painting wow. a picture for you. This is real. How did this happen? Holy cow, what in the world happened to all this? It wasn't because of the determination of the roots that found their way into my sewer pipe. It was because I was such, uh, 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 um, I was lazy in getting it fixed. And someone told me about that years ago. And I was like, it's expensive. I got to dig up the pipe. I got to do a whole big thing. It'll be okay. I'll, I'll get to it later. And I procrastinated. You see, the problem is because of my neglect. And in the United States of America or any place where you have freedom and liberty flourishing, 
our founders told us, if you lose this stuff, it's not going to be because somebody took it from you. It's because you gave it away. You let mm -hmm. it fall between your fingers. It happened on your watch. Because if you love this and you're passionate about it and you fight and defend for it, and God is, is championing your cause because he's about liberty for all and life, it's because you valued something more like safety or money or comfort or instant gratification and you made a you made a bad deal and now you're reaping the consequences absolutely kirk it's been so good talking to you um before we close out this interview what is can you i want to have um we've talked about a lot of heavy things here um i want to end on a message of hope and optimism that you can offer to people. So for someone who's there, who's heard all this stuff and you know, they, they agree with it, but they're still feeling afraid. They're not sure of what that next step should be. You know, they consider themselves just the average normal person. You know, what, what can I do? What, what can that person do? Well, I'll leave you with the words of a wise man from middle earth, Gandalf the gray. He said, other evils there are that may come, for even Sauron himself is but a servant or an emissary. Yet it is not our part to rule and master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the help of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields we know, that those who live after will have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. And what he's saying there is, as the dark clouds of evil descend and they, they, they gather and they obstruct our vision, re remember that there are other evils that will come that we can't even see. And our sacred task is not to eliminate all the evil for all time, but rather to do everything we can in the years that God has put us on this earth to uproot the evil in the fields that we know. And that begins with my own heart and my own home, with my own family. And then it slowly begins to ripple out into the places of influence, my work my church, my community, my country. And we plant seeds of truth, beauty, and goodness along the way so that those who live after us, our children and the next generation, will have clean earth to till. They can build without as many hindrances a culture of goodness and blessing. And they will be prepared for the weather God sends them because they have been taught by people in the previous generation who did what they could while they could. So let that give you hope and inspiration, not just to say, yeah, that's a good idea, but to drive positive action and build the world you want for your children. I love that. Kirk, where can people find and follow you online? Uh, you could follow me. Uh, hey, I just jumped on Twitter for the first time in five years. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, so at Kirk Cameron, and then uh, Facebook is where most people are following me right now. But you can also go to um, my website at KirkCameron.com and check out everything about Brave Books and uh, this, this book tour I'm doing. Amazing. You're doing great work, Kirk. You're an inspiration. So keep it up and God bless you. I appreciate you. God bless you too, brother. Take care. Bye-bye.